Well, this is week five in the sermon series on heaven, uh, the original gated community. And uh, let me just tell you quickly again two reasons why this sermon series. I, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about heaven. I know we've got uh, just bukus of questions about heaven. Some of them we've answered, some of them uh, we can't answer until we, we get there and we really experience it. But I wanted us to come from a straight biblical approach uh, just to give us a clear understanding about heaven. And we, we shared some information with you a couple of weeks ago with a, on, a, on a card where you could uh, have some resource material. Our, our media center upstairs here has a, a great display of books from almost every age that help you understand uh, more and more about heaven. I think, <coughs> excuse me, one of the one of the issues that we have today about not understanding things is we get, we get events out of the sequence of things about heaven. And that's one of the issues about that. So that's why I set forth a few weeks ago that theological framework. The second reason that I wanted us to do this sermon series on heaven is, you know, I just think I don't hear a whole lot about heaven anymore. I don't hear people talking about heaven anymore. A couple of generations ago, you know, you would hear people saying, come Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm ready for heaven. I'm looking forward to that. I think this culture in which we live today has got us so self-absorbed uh, that we're more content to live here. We want to be here. This is where we'd rather be. We've got everything that we want, everything that we need. And you try to witness to somebody who's out there in this world and they've got it made and they've got everything that they think they want. It's, it's a, that's a tough nut to crack and to try to get into that mindset. But if we as the church and we as believers find ourselves more excited about heaven, more optimistic about looking to go there and spending eternity there, then it's going to overflow into the life that we live and the faith that we share with those around us. I mean, there are two that stand out for me in the New Testament who constantly talked about heaven, had a great desire for that. First call is the Apostle Paul. And in Philippians 1.21, Paul made a great statement that we all ought to be able to say. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, I think most of us have it the other way around. See, for me to live is gain, and for me to die is loss. And Paul was the one that said, you know, everything that I had, I gave up. It was nothing more than a rubbish heap compared to knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. And Paul had that burning desire to go because he knew that going to heaven would be a wonderful gain in his life. A wonderful gain in his life. That he was ready for that. He was ready to go. And he knew that that was the ultimate destination that was awaiting him. And he was, he, was, he was prepared for that. He wanted to go. For me to live as Christ, as long as I live, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to share Christ. I'm going to, I'm going to glorify Christ. But he said, you know, when I, when I die and leave this world, I, I'm going to gain. I'm going to gain eternity in heaven with God and Christ and everything else that's there. It reminds me of a story that's told about a Sunday school class. You know, I told you all that when we started this on heaven, there's more jokes probably about heaven and preachers than anything else. But um, some of them I thought were, were okay. Um, and the woman was about a Sunday school teacher was teaching a class of children about heaven. And she posed some questions to them. She said, if I sold my house and my car had a huge yard sale and gave all the money to the church, would that get me into heaven? And they all said, no. They got that right. And she said, if every week I vacuumed the church carpets, cleaned the restrooms, and mowed the grass, would that get me into heaven? And all the children said, No. She said, if I was kind to the poor, gave candy to children, and loved my husband, would that get me into heaven? And once more, all the children said, no. So she said, okay, how do I get to heaven? And one little boy says, you have to die. Well, that's the reality in it. The way is through Jesus Christ. 
The method is he's one of two options. It's either that we die or that we're alive when Jesus comes and raptures the church and takes us out on that great day of resurrection. And so we have to be prepared for that. And to be prepared is to have a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we can say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. So we need to understand that our life here is to be lived for the glory and wonder of the kingdom of God in anticipation of the wonder and glory of heaven. But what about John the Apostle? What, what do we find about him? Well, he had this great insight that he was given through these visions to see about, about uh, heaven and revelation. And, and, and he was the one then who would pray and say, and, and ought to challenge us in this as well, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Why even so? Even so, Lord, that we've pretty much got it made here on earth. Even so that, you know, we, we, we're, we're doing okay. We've got things that we want. We've got a nice place to live. And uh, we don't suffer like people in the third world with hunger and those kinds of things. Though there's a lot of hunger here in the United States as well. A lot of people just take their focus off of eternity and thinking, okay, you know, we, we've got it made here. But, but, but John was one who would say, we ought to pray, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, I think is the longer that we live, we ought to be more intent in our prayer time, in our prayer life, to be able to say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Because, you know, that, that takes the church out. Uh, all the resurrected saints uh, are united with us, and we have that great day of rapture if we're alive at the rapture. And, and, and we, we, we go to heaven. And God begins a wonderful work about uh, then of establishing us in heaven the tribulation takes place on earth, and then we come back with him and reign for a thousand years, and then comes a new heaven and a new earth and new Jerusalem. Wow. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I think that as we've looked at um, <clears throat> the series on heaven, I think we've really been maybe mesmerized and really wanting to know, you know, certain things about the beauty of it. Are the streets really paved with gold? Well, what are we going to eat? What's that tree of life for? You know, will, will my pet be there? My favorite pet be there? Uh, will, will we recognize people there? You know, last week we talked about relationships in heaven, uh, relationships that we'll have with angels, a relationship that we'll have uh, with uh, family members, and a relationship that we'll have with other people. And I think we learned some intriguing things about that. Uh, next week we're going to look at the final question, and that is, you know, what are we going to do for all eternity? If we're not going to float around on, on a cloud and, and pluck on a heart, you know, what will we do for all eternity? You know, how are we going to spend eternity? And you know, a couple of other weeks ago, I told you that uh, for a long time I had a list of questions, especially about uh, suffering here and how God moved and how His sovereignty was at work. And um, then I read a passage of Scripture where Jesus said, in that day you will ask me no questions, and I threw my questions away. And I challenge you to do the same thing. Several of you, uh, I'm probably sure more than several of you, but a lot of you are aware that several weeks ago, um, Rick and Kay Warren, uh, Rick Warren, pastor at uh, Saddleback Baptist Church out in, in California, he experienced the agony, the parents' heartbreaking agony of uh, their uh, son, adult son, Matthew, uh, took his life, committed suicide after a probably a lifelong battle uh, with depression. And uh, Rick's taken a, a leave of absence. Many different people from across the United States are preaching for him so that he and Kay can begin to heal and work through that process. But he tweeted something this week that I want to share with you. And if it comes from him, then I think it's something that we ought to understand too. And, and, and ought to, 
help us throw away all of our questions because they'll be answered when we get there. But Rick simply tweeted and he said this, There will be no questions in heaven. You will understand it all there. Isn't that something? Doesn't that make sense? You know, there's a sense of fulfillment in that process right there that tells us that, you know, we, we, will, we will understand everything. And, and we, we, we'll deal with some issues here we don't understand. You know, we put up with suffering and pain and all this that, that, that's around. Why, why do good people, you know, have to succumb to cancer? And, and why do we have to go through the struggles that we go through? And God, why did you do this and why did you do that? You know, somehow it, it's, it's going to be there and answered for us when we get there. And there won't be any questions in heaven. There's going to be worship and praise and celebration and service. And we'll talk about that more next week. I want us to look at our scripture today. Uh, you'll find that it's listed in uh, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 14, and then verses 22 through 27, on into chapter 22, the first five verses. And they give us an idea about really two significant ways that we will relate to God in heaven. And this is John's vision. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars... Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a, of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. That's where we get the idea of the original gated community. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And we turn over to verses 22. He said, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life." Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing twelve crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month. 
and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. They will, there will be no night. There will not, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Well, I mean, that's just, to me, that's just awe-inspiring right there, just to read that. We've already looked at some portions of that passage there and talked about heaven, how regal it is, how beautiful it is. And we talked about, you know, those, uh, the 12 gates, three on each direction. Not that there's many different methods of coming into heaven. There's only one that's through Jesus, but you can come from any direction, any part of the world. But here we find two ways, I think, clearly distinguished as to how we will be able to relate to God in heaven. What, what, what glorious opportunity He gives us. First of all, we will be with Him. He makes that very clear several times, especially in, when we're looking at chapter 21. And what that means is that we will have fellowship with God. We will have intimate fellowship with God. Being right there in His presence, we will be with Him. He is the supreme being of heaven. And so obviously then, that's what everything will center around. Is our relationship with God when we're in heaven. We will be with Him. Listen to what Revelation 21.3 says. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. See, that's the fulfillment of our salvation when we get to heaven, is that we will be with God. He will be with us, and we will be together. In the incarnation we celebrate at Christmas when Jesus became God in the flesh and came down to be with us to show us what God is like, to reveal God's love for us, to redeem us on the cross. And, and, and to be God among us, Emmanuel. When we go to heaven we're going to be there with, with, with God and with Christ and they're going to be there with us. We will be with Him. We're going to have fellowship with Him. We'll have a relationship with Him. Now while we live in this world we are also described as living in fellowship with Him. John would also write in 1 John uh, chapter 1 verse 2 and 3 and then verse 7 and he would say the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. That's our relationship now. Is that we have fellowship with Jesus Christ and God the Father. We also have fellowship with one another. And then he says in verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sins. Now, when we become believers, we enter into a wonderful fellowship with God. And here's some of the things that take place. His life becomes our life. You know, his mission becomes our mission. His purpose becomes our purpose. His will becomes our will, and His desire becomes our desire. And our fellowship with God is through our salvation. And that brings us into God, into a relationship here, though, where we communicate with God. You know, we pray to Him. We hear Him speak in His Word. He moves in our life to reveal Himself in various ways. But right now, as great as that fellowship is and the, and the way that we dialogue and we know with God and we live in, His existence, live in His presence and our existence here, that fellowship with Him is somewhat hindered, isn't it? Because we're really not seeing Him face to face. But when we go to heaven we will be with Him. We will fellowship with God and it will be unhindered. We will see Him. We will see Jesus and we will celebrate 
that presence and that reunion. Now I want to share three insights from three different um, sections of the New Testament, challenges from Scripture that talk about the fact that this is the desire of God and of Jesus from the beginning of time is that we would be with them for all eternity. Why did God create us? He wanted a relationship with us. He wanted fellowship with us. You know, we are honored in that. Then we sin. Why did God send Jesus? To redeem us. Why? So that we could have fellowship with Him and relationship with Him. Now, listen to two or three places. First of all in John 17. That's the night that Jesus was is, is with His disciples for that last time. And He prays in John's Gospel chapter 17 what, what we call that great high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. And there's a very provocative statement I think that He makes. Jesus knew who He was. He knew where He came from. He knew where He was going. And He knew what was ahead of Him which was the agony of the cross. Being betrayed, the kangaroo court, and the scourging that He took, and then dying on the cross. But in verse 24 this is what Jesus prayed. He said, Father I want those You have given Me to be with Me where I am and to see My glory, the glory You have given Me because You loved Me before the creation of the world. Now you think about that statement. Here's Jesus on His last night on earth, the last time with His disciples, and what's He praying? He's praying and He says, Father I want these that You've given to Me, that is believers by faith, I want them to be with Me in Heaven so that they will see My glory. And they will know the glory that I had before I came to earth to be a man and to go to the cross and die in their place for their sins. He said in verse 24, In order that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. Father, I want them to be with me. I want them to be with me. You ever thought about how much Jesus really wants eternal fellowship with you? That's something to think about. And let's look at John 14. It's a familiar passage of Scripture. And we looked at that several weeks ago when we talked about heaven as our eternal home. Because that's what Jesus is talking about. He's going to provide a home for us. In John 14, 1, He begins by talking to the disciples and He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in Me. So Jesus knew that they were troubled because He was preparing them for His departure. He would no longer be with them. And, and the 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 concern that I'm sure they had, Jesus already had anticipated. Because He had met every need that they had in their life. See when they were afraid He came and He gave them His confidence. But when they needed to be comforted He came and He comforted them. When they were bewildered He came and He taught them. When they were hungry He created food for them. He met every need that they had. And they had to be wondering, okay Lord you've been our meal ticket for a long time. You're going to leave us now. How are we going to get along? You know, what's going to happen to us? And Jesus says this. Listen to what He says in verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with Me. You might want to underscore that. That you also may be where I am. You hear what Jesus promises? I want you to be with Me and you also may be where I am. There again is that reference to the fact that Jesus is going to prepare the place for us. And that will be our eternal home and He wants us to be there with Him forever. Then in 1 Thessalonians 4, this is a beautiful passage of Scripture. I love this passage of Scripture. And to me it's kind of one of those, one of those watermark passages of Scripture that, that when you understand it about in terms of death and dying and resurrection and the difference between the rapture when Jesus appears to take 
the church out and the second coming, which is a distinct act. This is one that you really have to nail down and understand this, okay? But in, in Thessalonica, what was going on? There were young believers. The whole church movement was young at that time. They were beginning to wonder. There were our family members who trusted in Christ, you know. And the early church thought that the coming back of Jesus was really imminent. That it was going to happen at any moment. They really anticipated that. So they became concerned about those who had died. Had they, would they miss out on that resurrection? What would happen to them? And so Paul writes to them this wonderful, wonderful chapter of 1 Thessalonians 4. And he says in verse 16, for the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. See, those that we have already said goodbye to, we know that their eternal spirit is with God. Their body is in the ground, waiting the day of resurrection, and that's yet to come. And then he says in verse 17, well, what about the rest of us, those of us who will be alive at that time? He says, after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, that is the great glorious thing about the reunion that we share in heaven. We oftentimes wonder, well I see Aunt so and so, well I know my grandparents, well I know family members in this. You know, I, I, I do anticipate looking upon God and, and, and Christ and, and really realizing their presence and their glory and the majesty. But I also confess that there's some people I want to see there. I, 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 I'm looking forward to seeing my sister that I never knew. She was three years old when she died. I was about 18 months. All I have is memories that the family told me about her. I'm looking forward to meeting my grandfather, my mother's father that died long before I was born. I'm looking forward to meeting him. But the best thing about the reunion that, that is promised here is that we will be with the Lord forever. That's what's going to make heaven so wonderful, is that we will be with the Lord forever. Now, I don't remember who it was that challenged me with this as I was doing my reading and research for this week. I didn't write it down. But the challenge was, think about heaven this way. Think about it not so much as a place that we're going, but think about heaven as going to a person. And that person is God. That person is Christ. And that's where the reunion is going to be. With God who created us and Christ who redeemed us. Isn't that going to be marvelous and wonderful? It's going to be absolutely fantastic. You see, God wants us to be there with Him. He wants us to be there in the glory of heaven with Him forever and ever. And that's what we need to look forward to. Revelation 21, 3 through 4, again it says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. There's God with us. Now look at what He does in verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So you need to go back and underscore that. He will be with men. He will live with them. And you look at verse 4, what he does. That's when he does those wonderful things about taking away the tears and reminding us that there will be no more death or mourning, crying or pain, and the old order is done away with. And we look at verse 12, and it tells us about those gates once again, those pearly gates. And that they're there open, and they're never closed. Verse 25 through 27, so on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever end it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. See, that's the only criteria. 
is to be with Jesus. Do you know Him? Do you have your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Do you need to remember, it's not St. Pete that meets us at the pearly gates, but it's God and Christ who meet us. And it's not based on our works and what we've done, but it's based upon what we did with Jesus Christ. If we accepted Him as Savior. And when we're with God and Jesus, they're with us. Now, the second thing that we do in relationship with God is this, is that we will see Him. We will see God. Does that slip by you? Or does that excite you? That we will see God. Isn't that incredible? We will see God. All throughout the Bible we are told that no, no man can see God. No one can look upon God because He is so holy. We can't do it. But listen to what it says in Revelation 22, 3 through 4. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Isn't that absolutely amazing? See, it makes sense that if we will be with Him, then we're going to see Him. But yet we have those reminders through the Scriptures that we can't see Him. Remember the story in Exodus 33? That Moses is, is wanting to know about God he wants to see. And Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, and this is profound, he said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Moses said, I want to see your glory. God says, I will let my goodness pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But, he says in verse 20, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Why not? Because God is holy. And we're not. And even when we are redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we become righteous in the sight of God, we still don't see God, right? But one day when we leave this world and we are in Christ and we go to heaven, then the curse will be removed. That was a powerful phrase that he used in this. That curse from Adam and Eve that has fallen on all of us with that sin and broke that relationship with God is going to be reversed. Even That's why he talks about a new earth and a new heaven. All that's going to be done away with and a new one will be created. And, and we will be new in our glorified state. And in our glorified state, we will be able to see God. We see Him now in different ways. You know, we see Him with our heart. We see Him with our mind. We see God moving in history. We see Him moving in circumstances. But we don't see Him visibly. Now, the question is, how will, how will God look? You know, what will He look like? The Bible says in Psalm 104.2 that He is the one who covers Himself with light as with a garment. So, that kind of says... That when God puts on clothes, He puts on the garments of light. Exodus 24, 17 says, The appearance of God, or the glory of God, was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. And Psalm 36, 9 says, In thy light we see light. So we will see God with our eyes. And it also means that we will see God with our mind, which means that we will fully comprehend God. But what will we see? You know, I think that we can clearly see Christ. We'll see Him. But will God be like a, a glory of light? 
Somehow I think so. But yet at the same time, I think that we will know that it's God. Because the Bible tells us that God is what? Spirit. That God is spirit. So how do you see him? One way is we'll see him with the eyes of faith. But when we come face to face with him, we will see him. And we will know that he's God. And we will see Jesus. I like what John also wrote in 1 John 3 too. He says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. So what that says to us is in, in, our, in our glorified body, glorified, resurrected body, we will be like Jesus. And after his resurrection, you, you got some inkling about it. There was a body that looked normal, but yet he could go through doors. There was a body that ate, took in nourishment, but you know, amazing thing. He could just mysteriously appear and disappear. I'm not sure what all we will do, but we know this, that we will look like him. We will have a glorified, resurrected body. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned and that curse came on us, you know, they ran and they hid themselves from God when God looked for that fellowship. But we won't run from God. We will run to God when we enter into those pearly gates. And we will have that fellowship with God forever and ever. Now, let me, let me close by giving you this challenge. In Psalm 17, 15, the psalmist said, And I, in righteousness, I will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. I think the psalmist understood there that in our righteousness, that's our glorified state, we will see him. And he says, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. I said, we could take that and go to town all day long on that. You know, about, about for the fact that I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. You see, that, that, that takes away all your questions about my pet going to be there. Don't worry about your pet. You're going to be with Jesus. You're going you're to be satisfied with his likeness. God's going to be there. You wonder about relatives? Yeah, we do wonder about them. We want to know if they made it to heaven, people we want to meet. But the main thing is, I will be satisfied by seeing God. See, I mean, we really understand that. But no, notice how the psalmist says that. I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. You see, this is where I think we're not as excited about heaven as we are. We're satisfied with a lot of other things. A nice comfortable place to live, a nice comfortable job, nice comfortable pews to sit on. Uh, you know, everything nice and comfortable and, and, and the way that we want it and no complications in life and all of those kinds of things. And that's not the reality of life. But oftentimes that's what satisfies us when things are going good. What did the psalmist say? He said, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. So I want to ask you a question today. Knowing that true believers whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life enter into heaven and have fellowship with God and Christ for all eternity, will that satisfy you just simply to be with Him? Yeah, I think the streets will be paved with gold. There are going to be marvelous things that the eye has never seen and the mind has never conceived. And the Bible tells us about some of those things revealed through the Spirit. But the most amazing thing is, is that we will be in the presence of God for eternity. We will see Him. We'll fellowship with Him. So we ought to be satisfied with that. And it's like we get heaven and all the other stuff too. We see God. We fellowship with Him. And with that, we should be satisfied. So let me ask you this. Are you satisfied in Jesus today? 
you know, are you satisfied with him? Is he the Lord of your life? Is he the Savior of your life? Is he the center of your life? Is his will your will? Is his desire your desire? Is his love your love? Is his compassion your compassion? So are you living for him so that you'll be satisfied with him here? So that then when you see him in your righteousness, you will be satisfied with him in heaven. See, that only comes through a decision that you make to accept and embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior and allow him to be the Lord of your life. Father, I pray that through the movement of your Holy Spirit, we'll see decisions made to your glory. We will be excited about the prospect of eternity and heaven with you. Uh, we will be satisfied here on earth having that wonderful relationship with you and we will be satisfied when we're in heaven with you. Father, may we pray with confidence and faith and boldness even so, come Lord Jesus. And may today, Father, there be one or two or somebody who will come today to publicly profess faith in Christ, unite with this church on promise of letter of our statement because they want to spend eternity with you and they want a fellowship here in this church with believers who are in relationship with you. So I pray for the movement of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit to lead to conviction and lead us into making the decisions that we need to make. And I pray it in Christ's name.